This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Horse people, this is Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for June 13th, episode 2202, brought to you by Horseware. Today, we are jumping into the Wayback Machine to enjoy a listener favorite from 2018, where Mary Kitzmiller recounts her epic cross-country trip to find the Mustang herd from whence her makeover horse Remington came. So tuck in your earbuds, folks. What your favorite day of the week? stop learning you never stop understanding it's more in depth than just riding a horse exciting knowing that for the rest of my life i could work on this and, and i'll never stop learning <laughs> Woohoo! welcome back mary second thursday of every month mary is back and this time it's road trip day. Yeah, it feels like it's been forever. A lot has happened since we chatted I last know, because I know. your last episode was just before the Mustang makeover, correct? Yes, yes. Because I don't think we did September. I think World Equestrian Games or kind something was going on. Plopped in the middle of all that, yeah. Our whole life, the, the year 2018 for Glenn and I was split into two halves pre-World Equestrian Games and post-World Equestrian Games. Yeah, the little bit I saw of that, that, that seems like quite the adventure. It was an adventure, and we, not in our wildest dreams could we have imagined that it was the, you know, the, it, yeah, crazy. If you haven't listened yet, folks, go back to um, the 2018 WEG show on Horse Radio Network and listen back to the episodes during WEG. It was cray-cray. But I'm willing to bet the adventures that you've had since we spoke last are even more interesting. <clears throat> so why don't we get started here? We're not going to have any guests today. It's going to be all road show all the time today, folks. So be prepared. Mary normally comes on and answers training and writing questions that we get from our listeners and our auditors and we get to geek out on horse training typically once a month but since this road trip and I, and I got to enjoy your road trip vicariously because you posted lots of really gorgeous pictures and some videos on the Facebook and I got to enjoy it that way and I said heck we've just got to talk about that because you went pretty much across the entire center of the United States it was, uh, it was uh, at one point, you know, if it was so the, like the great American road trip, we hit a lot of like big milestones that you'd want to do on, on those good old fashioned road trips. And they sort of felt like a hobbit on the unexpected journey because a lot of it was unplanned <laughs> and it was, it was so memorable and so fun. And I had a lot of people that were seeing pictures. They were like, you've got to put this on a map. You've got to show us where you went because we just hit a lot of really random stuff. So this is my version of like before the Internet, uh, you know, back in the 90s, <laughs> so long ago. Um, <laughs> that was the thing you did when you went on a vacation as you forced all your family and friends to sit in front of a slideshow of your uh, of your family vacation. Uh, yes. pictures yeah so that's what i'm doing on this on this show is that's this, what this, uh, this is going to be the slideshow with me. yeah yes and you're you know I'm, I'm making you watch my cheesy vacation pictures um so but it was a lot of fun take us and, take us back to the beginning of this tell us how yes. what was the 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 nugget that started this pearl what was the little piece of sand so, um, as part of my Mustang makeover experience, which, um, you know, I, I did that at the beginning of September, um, PBS actually came out, 
uh, before the makeover and during the makeover, and they filmed um, Remington for it. So PBS is doing a um, a project that's going to come out in the spring, and I think they're going to try to make it a feature film. Mm. And they followed um, they followed a lot of Mustang stuff. It wasn't just me. It wasn't just the makeover. They followed some of the makeover trainers. Um, they followed some veteran programs that are working with Mustangs and a few other things. And so Remy was was part of that storyline. Well, and any of you guys who've followed along with Remington know that he's kind of a different sort of uh, Mustang experience that I've had and that I've got documentation of this horse in the wild since he was a baby. Um, there's a photographer up there by the name of Pat Doak who has followed him since he was born. Um, and so as kind of a great finish to Remy's story, PBS had us come out, me and my mom, and we met up with Pat. We met up with a woman named Ann Souders with America's Mustang, and we actually filmed us going out into the wild and seeing these horses. And for me, hard as it is to believe, it was actually the first time I got to see Mustangs in the wild. Really? So that was, yeah, it was Awesome. And so that was like this perfect, you know, rounded out into his little part of this film is that, you know, we that all the people who have sort of come together to film Remy and me who trained Remy and Anne, who was the one who connected me with Pat, who who's the one who photographed Remy. We all came out and my mom and we all went out together and saw these horses. And so we spent three days driving through these uh, you know, through the Wyoming arid desert looking for Mustangs and filming it all. So, um, so that's the catalyst. That's why I went. It wasn't just, you know, I want to, I want to forget about work for a yeah, second. And yeah, go well, on vacation. See, I didn't know about all this, all this time I was watching the pictures because you didn't, you didn't let on what got this whole trip started in your Facebook posts. This was a surprise to me recently. I just thought you were going on a little walkabout. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Super frivolous 20 day. We were on the road for 20 days. 20 days. Um, Dang. Yes. Yeah. And um, now, where did it start and, and where, where did it start and where did it end? So obviously we started in Texas. We started in Kemp, Texas, East Texas. And um, PBS, PBS initially offered to fly us out. Well, my mom was born in Wyoming and, uh, you know, lived in Wyoming and South Dakota and and, uh, I go out, I typically go out West every year. I, I have in the past done the central Washington state fair. So there's a couple of places I've done on those road trips that I thought, Oh, I'd love to stop there again. And so, uh, we decided to drive instead. So we decided to go up early and, uh, you know, we had to be there on a certain day. And so we decided to go up several days early and gallivant around. Um, so we started in Texas and we drove out, made it out to Paladero Canyon, uh, which is near Amarillo the first day. And anyone who knows anything about Texas knows that it takes a day to do Texas, to drive, no matter where you live in Texas. If you want to get out of Texas, <laughs> it's going to take a day. So if you have um, to evacuate. <laughs> yes. Or my favorite thing is I'll have a friend who says, I'm going to be in Texas this weekend. We should hang out. I'm like, oh, where are you going to be? They're like, El Paso. I'm like, you know, I wouldn't get there till tomorrow, end of day. You know, <laughs> it's, it's not Rhode Island. <laughs> oh, that's there are, in fact, there are ranches in Texas bigger than Rhode Island to give you a. Yeah. There you uh, go. Yeah. Um, the good so, part is you won't hit any traffic unless you drive to Dallas. There's no traffic. Oh, actually, it's about four hours of traffic because Dallas is like a black hole of yes. despair. Yes. And then there's no traffic. Yes. Um, I hate Dallas. <laughs> Send your hate uh, mail to Jennifer. Yes. At All right. Yes. I, I don't know. Anyone who's in Texas probably doesn't have good Dallas feelings. Dallas is not Texas. So for folks it's who are geographically challenged, me, for example, uh, Palo Duro Canyon is that north, south, east, west part of the state. It is the northwest part of the state. Okay. Um, up in the panhandle area. Uh, and uh, Paladero Canyon is really interesting. I've lived in Texas for nearly a decade, and I have never been to Paladero. Um, and it's amazing. I believe 
it's the second biggest canyon in the U.S., second to, obviously, the Grand Canyon. Oh. Um, yeah. And so we uh, we stopped out there the first day, drove through the canyon, took about 300 pictures of that. <laughs> um, interesting thing about Paladuro is uh, all of that area of Texas is flat, 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 big, open country. And then this random canyon is in there. If you didn't have signs to follow, you wouldn't find this on purpose. Hmm. Um, and it's actually a place that the Comanche... Um, used uh as a it's it was a great place for them you know they could go do raids and and start little skirmishes and then run back into the canyon and whoever was chasing them wouldn't find them because they you know they had this really cool hiding place so we went out there and and checked it out and um that was day one and we stayed there for the night but yeah that's a really cool part of uh, of texas to be in it's really beautiful it's uh it's really different um and then from there we ended up going to gallup new mexico um, now, which direction that, did that take you? North, south, east, or west? Uh, westish. Okay. Yeah, we we drove through New Mexico. We went through Santa Fe and I think Albuquerque to get there. We stopped in Santa Fe for a little bit, which is an amazing town, and I want to move there. Um, yeah, Glenn and I kind of have an affection for Santa Fe too. Yeah, there's something about it. I I don't know. You know, they call New Mexico the land of enchantment, and it it really is. It's uh. It's kind of got really, good karma going. Yeah. It does. It does. Um, and, you know, another part of my trip, which I'll talk about later, one of the guys said that it's like a mad, this this particular town we went to on the way back, it's like a magical vortex. And if you talk to anyone who's moved there, they've got a, a really random story about how they got there. It it's, wasn't it's, like, yeah. work moved me here, you know? It's it's the um, it's it's the place for the modern Rastafarian is what that is. Yeah, yeah, I could, yeah, I could see that. We, we, we had, we ran into some interesting characters. See? <laughs> yes. <gasps> yeah. So was, um, were there shopping opportunities in this particular part of the world? Okay, so um, we went to, we, we just had time to kind of zip through Santa Fe. Santa Fe has this amazing plaza. It actually reminds me of Mexico, the country, um, and that you go to these wonderful towns, um, like San Miguel de, de, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher this de Allende. I say de Allende because I'm a gringo and I can't pronounce things correctly, but, um, but it's this wonderful old plaza and it's just this very, it doesn't feel like other places in the U S it's, it's just this great community thing where everybody hangs out. It's where you eat. It's where you shop. Um, They've got flea markets. They've always got events. They've got music going on. It's amazing. And every, you know, I stopped there um, a couple times on the trip, and uh, and I definitely recommend going to Santa Fe. And we were able to kind of go through, breeze through for a few hours. We went just drove through Albuquerque, and then we stopped in Gallup, New Mexico. Um, so any of you guys who are jewelry enthusiasts who love Native American jewelry, Navajo jewelry, Zuni jewelry, turquoise, um, Gallup is the place to go. It has, it doesn't look like much when you're pulling in. It's not quite as magical looking as Santa Fe on the outside, but they've got a mess of pawn shops and a ton of amazing, amazing jewelry. Um, so we started our, we started to buy Gallup out of all their jewelry um, <laughs> on that part, leg of the trip. <laughs> because so if you, you go, to, a, if anybody goes to Etsy to buy turquoise jewelry and you see a lot of sold out buttons, it's because of Mary and her yes, mom. Yes, we, 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 and part, some of it was for us. Um, I'm going to look like a disco ball the next time you see me. I've never worn <laughs> so much jewelry in my life. Um so some of it was personal, but we, you know, we always have a business and, uh, we got a lot of it wholesale prices. So I'm going to be reselling that. And, um, I love the Navajo jewelry because of it's just, uh, you know, the, the real stuff is, it's got this 
you know, authentic handmade look to it. I love turquoise. Turquoise will never go out of style. It's always <laughs> going to be awesome. You know, what, you know what I found about, I was, I was watching your posts of all the beautiful jewelry and blingy things and, and baubles that you were, were posting. And I'm not much of a jewelry wearer, but that doesn't keep me from admiring it. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to categorize what the Navajo jewelry in the timeline of art. And it made me think of post, what's the word I'm looking for? Postmodern is what it makes me think of. It's extremely simple. It's not fussy. Because a lot of us associate Indian, quote, in, I'm using my air quotes, Indian jewelry with the really fussy, intricate stuff that you see in old Hollywood movies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what I was seeing was very simple, very straightforward. And that was the beauty of it. Is it, it oh, you know, it, it just broke it down to its simplest, most basic parts. And then it and then it's just really beautifully crafted, which made me think of postmodern architecture you know just yeah simple and you go with that but yet it's this is a style of of jewelry making that has been around for how many generations it's not it's not something that is actually modern it's it's that style and that um aesthetic but it's from you know hundreds and hundreds of years ago so it was very interesting for me to try to wrap my head around that and my favorite thing, um, you know, obviously, if you are any part of the Western lifestyle or aesthetic, uh, it's it's always very trendy. It is never really it ebbs and flows, never really goes out of style. Um, definitely worth hanging on to if you've got some older pieces. So it's just a it's a cool thing to have. It's really durable. Like if I'm wearing my turquoise jewelry to ride, I'm not going to be fretting about, oh my gosh, the stone's going to come out of its setting. And it, it doesn't look out of place if you wear it and you're doing your horsey things. Now, maybe not like a full on squash blossom necklace, but, um, and, and the stories that we picked up there, we've, we've bought jewelry supplies from a guy who works in Gallup and, um, and he's Navajo and, um, really great, great guy, um, runs this store called house of stamps and it's all these really cool handmade, um, stamps. They take like a piece of wrought iron and cut that into like a stamp size. And then they take a file and make all these little patterns and that's what their stamps are. And so if you're ever into jewelry stamping, check that stuff out. It's really cool. But uh, we were talking with one of his employees. Um, we were in his store buying them out of all their stamps. And we're talking with one of his employees. And she was um, saying how uh, they, we were talking about her grandmother. And her grandmother has a really interesting story. She speaks mostly Navajo. She doesn't speak much English. Really? And wow. Yeah. And she was telling um, they think think she's around 95. I don't think they have an official date on when she was born, but um, they were saying that uh, that she remembers a time when I think she was living on the reservation and these guys would come up and they would round up all these children and send them to these state schools. They'd essentially just take them away from their family and send them to state schools and um, and uh, this this woman's grandmother, her grandmother would take her and hide her in a pile. They, because they could see the cars coming. You could see mm-hmm. the the cloud of dust from miles away. So they would take her and hide her in a pile of sheepskins and say, don't say anything. And so as a result, she got to stay home and she got to learn about the language and she got to learn all about the jewelry cool. and the artwork. And as a result, you know, she passed that down to her daughter, passed it down to her granddaughter. So that's, that's the amazing thing about this jewelry is, um, the people who make it have these awesome stories that you won't find in, you know, probably your neck of the woods and your walk of life. And, um, you know, it's it's just something that's been passed down for generations. So I really love that kind of stuff. And I um I hate it when I see that people it's now being made in like um places like China and India because yeah. people are trying to get it cheaper. If you're gonna yeah. buy it, you know, invest in invest in the real stuff from the artist and it's definitely worth having. 
So that's my little turquoise rant. <laughs> Your little turquoise rant. Yeah. <laughs> so you had some other stops while you were out there. Tell me, there's something in our notes here that says something about May West. Oh, yeah. So uh, being that we wanted this most authentic road, road trip experience, um, I would always get out my Google and find out, uh, okay, what's the cool thing to do here? And uh, there's this hotel in Gallup called El Rancho, and it's like straight out of a Wes Anderson movie. It actually looks more Swiss than having a <laughs> Southwest aesthetic. Um, it's and this guy built it. Oh, God, I don't even know what I think in the 20s or 30s as this kind of film location and, fil- you know, uh, when they're filming film uh, movies in New Mexico he built this big ho- fancy hotel in Gallup. So um, it's hosted a bunch of movie stars. I think Spencer Tracy. Um, so the movie buffs uh, need to go there, definitely. Yes, yeah, yes. Humphrey okay. Bogart. Um, anyone who's in a black and white film has probably stayed in this hotel. And uh, we we got to stay in May West's room. Oh, wow. So that was pretty cool. Um, my only negative review of the hotel, it's so cool. And they've got the black and white pictures all up on the wall. And um, you, you'll have to you'll have to go to my Facebook and see the pictures of it because I can't properly describe it. It really does have a uh, that aesthetic of Wes Anderson. And it's it's very old school. Um, it had this I went up to my room in an old timey freight elevator, the kind where like you close those doors, uh, the, the metal slidey things. Yeah, yeah, like the lattice metal doors is super cool. Um, the only uh, the only negative thing I'll say about it is the uh, air conditioning unit, like the little wall mount <laughs> that you can use to control your temperature is merely decorative. Um, <laughs> you get lukewarm air blowing out of the air conditioner. So um, go in the, maybe go in the winter. <laughs> yeah, or like bring a bag of ice bring to take to bed there. with you. So um, after you left Gallup um, onto Utah. And this is, I, I can't wait to hear, I have not heard the, the backstory yet, but you visited a particular landmark that is, that most Americans are familiar with, you familiar with that uh, watch TV or hang out at all. Unless you've been living under a rock in the United States, you've heard of this place. So tell us about the Utah adventure. Um, so I actually first stopped in Moab uh, a couple years ago. Uh, I was hauling my horses back from doing the Central Washington State Fair. And I was so tired of doing the normal route that I usually take to go up there. And uh, my mom and I were like, let's stop in Moab. We've never been there. I kind of had an idea of what it was. You know, I've seen some postcards of the arches and um so we stopped there. We stopped at a, uh, at a fair, really nice fairgrounds out there with the horses, um, unloaded them and we were just going to drive through. And by the time we got to Moab and saw what it was, we're like, we're staying a whole day. We're going <laughs> to, we're parking here. We're going to stay. So you hit Moab and all of a sudden everything is bright red and these amazing craggy rocks and they've got Arches National Park out there and it is one of the coolest places I have ever been. Um, it's all these canyons and gorges and rocks and arches and everything. So um, I had gone to Delicate Arch or in Arches National Park. That whole park is awesome. So I'd gone last year, um, me and my assistant stopped back and we went to go see Delicate Arch for the first time. And that's when you've probably seen a postcard of it. Um, it's just a big dang arch and it's, it's out there ways. It's not like right by the side of the road and you could just like hop out and take your picture of it and get back in the car. Um, so there's, so there's a hike three, involved, is there? Yes. There are three ways to get there. There is a 100-yard um, hike. So you walk like across the length of a very small parking lot and take your pic- picture. There's a mile, maybe less than a mile hike, and you still see it at a distance. What we did last year is we did like the three-mile hike, and I'm wearing freaking moccasins. And I... <laughs> 
I could do this. Yeah, it's just a walk. It's Poor no big deal. Um, Mary. <laughs> yeah. And it's this kind of smooth, slightly sandy surface. Um, I actually had a, uh, a panic attack. Um, I've always been afraid of heights and I know that, but I didn't think I would be like, you know, um, scaling any rock surfaces. So I didn't, I didn't think I'd need to worry. And right before the arch is what I would consider kind of like this big toilet bowl shaped from formation and that it's this kind of big bowl and it's at a slight downgrade and, and then it just drops you off into an abyss. If you were to slide down it there, if you, if you were to lose your footing and start sliding down this rock face, um, you, there's nothing to grab hold of. You just die. So, and, uh, I did Google it later and that has happened. So it did found my fears. So, <laughs> I was walking along, doing great, hopping over these rocks, and then it started to get more steep and a little bit more treacherous, treacherous, but not bad. And then it got, uh, at one point, you had to climb up on this rock shelf and kind of go around this cliff. And all of a sudden, I got hit with this panic attack, and I'm like, oh, my God. I, I just froze. I just froze, and I had to stop. And everyone's like, are you okay? Are you okay? I'm like, yeah, go around me go around me and I'm like I've never had this happen before like just this primal fear took hold and I literally could not move I've never been paralyzed with fear like that and then um you know I'm thinking I'm not wearing the proper shoes I'm not set up for hiking meanwhile all these Asian tourists were wearing tiny little heels and just crawling all over kitten like, heels awesome. and flip-flops and they're going past you yeah they're wearing like clothes you'd wear to go to a mall and they're just like perfectly agilely navigating everything and i'm just stuck on this rock face so i got long story short i got close of the arch close enough to the arch to take a decent picture and then i had to like go lay down somewhere because uh it was awful so knowing that uh when my mom and i went uh we didn't have time to do three mile hike so we took the second longest hike and i thought well that ought to get us close-ish the hike that i did the year before you can go up to the arch and touch it um I just didn't because I'm a big baby. So the hike we took was uh, was like the middle one. So I thought, well, we ought to we ought to get really close. And it was a really steep climb, and we're running out of air, and because it's you know you got higher elevation, and and uh, you know um, my mom's like, oh my god, really? Is it? Are we there yet? Are we still doing this? And just kind of can't believe that it's it's this much hike in a national park i mean how did where is the escalator um so we get all the way up there to the point where you're supposed to take the picture and the arch is still like i could pinch it between my fingers it's still that far away and like the hundred yard hike got you the same picture as yeah. climbing up on this mile long hike and so we get up there and she's like really really <laughs> That's it. And I won't, I won't go on air with the choice words she used, but as she, she pretty much said, this is BS. So, <laughs> so she did not appreciate our... hiking for a no. mile through the uh, countryside to see a rock five miles away. Yeah. To see a tiny minuscule arch. And so <laughs> she's pretty vocal about her opinion. So she's like, really? I'm like, and so we turn around and we're walking back and she starts waving away other tourists on the hike. She's like, it's not worth it. Turn around. Go home. <laughs> Go home. <laughs> I can see the headlines now. National park attendance drop plummets in 2019. New Mexico woman to blame. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, maybe let them find out for themselves. <laughs> but uh, and and a couple of people were like were actually like, oh really? Uh, never mind. I'm getting back in the car. <laughs> at a national park. You drove all the way out here. Um yeah, but it, it was a bit anticlimactic. So if you ever go and go see Delicate Arch, take the time, um, wear proper hiking shoes, probably take some water and provisions and go on the Do go the on the couple deal. mile hike. You can really get up close to it. And it's uh, it's pretty cool. Wow. Well, we've got way more road trip to go. And we've actually got way more road trip than we're going to be able to cover in today's show. There was so much going on. But uh, let's suffice it to say that after the break, 
the Mustang aspect of this big adventure will begin. And uh, we'll be right back with more after we hear from our title sponsor, Horseware. In the world of horse racing and elite equestrian sports, it's all about how to prepare and repair. Ice Vibe is a truly portable and highly efficient circulation therapy system for your horse. Before activity, prepare to prevent damage by using the Ice Vibe's vibration pads. Repair after the event by using the unique combination of cold packs and vibration to minimize swelling and encourage blood flow. And because it's battery powered, Ice Vibe is truly portable. The essential and affordable tool to prepare and repair. Ice Vibe. You can find out more details about Ice Vibe at ice-vibe.com or horseware.com. Or ask your local tax shop or online supplier for more information about Ice Vibe Circulation Therapy from Horseware. That's what I wear Pearls Seems fair With my Blue jeans Diamond rings And roses in my hair I rode a bronc He was tough The boys all out
And that is Adrienne, and you can find her music on CD Baby and iTunes, one of my favorites of hers. You're a, an Adrienne fan too, aren't you, Mary? Yes, yes. And not only do I love her music, um, so she's also known as Buckaroo Girl. And so I love her music. I love her whole aesthetic. She is, there's this whole group of Buckaroo chicks that are in the Northwest, and they're they're not like Barbie dolls in the sense that they're not these high maintenance. Oh my God, I might break a nail girls. These are tough girls. Like Adrian's ridden ranch broncs before. Yeah, exactly. She competes Um, in bronc riding. Yeah. yeah, So these are some (laughs) tough, like cattle branding girls, but when they go out, they are like on point. They've got the, the silk wild rag. They've got their whole ensemble. They are wearing lipstick and makeup, full makeup every day. Um, and they're, I, they're like who I want to be when I grow up. They're so cool. Um, <laughs> and, and so, see, and yeah, they're bronc riders that are comfortable in boots and pearls. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah, this is even the guys, the guys are a bit fussy. They've got their little <laughs> top button done. They've got their mustachios wax. They've got, but I totally dig it. I love it. Um, and she's got a great Facebook, um, account. She does a thing where she writes these beautiful letters and she calls them dear Cowgirl." Um, so definitely follow her on Facebook. She's amazing. There we go. Well, speaking of comfortable and aesthetic, Total Saddle Fit, one of our great sponsors here on the monthly show with Mary. Uh, Western Riders rejoice because Total Saddle Fit now has the shoulder relief cinch available for Western folks. The shoulder relief cinch actually changes the position and angle of the billets to prevent the saddle tree from interfering with the shoulder. Always bad news. The original saddle fit cinch features stainless steel roller buckles, top-grade leather, and your choice of three different removable liners. You can get them in high-quality limestone neoprene, 100% wool, or 100% wool fleece, and it's available in sizes from teeny-weeny to giant, 24 through 36. And don't forget, Total Saddle Fit takes care of all your different types of saddles and helping them fit better. They're available in English style, long or short. And they also have a trail version available for Australian saddles that have English style buckle billets that are a little bit wider than most English saddles. So there's something for everybody. And you can find them all at totalsaddlefit.com or walk into your local tack and feed supplier because most major tack shops now carry Total Saddle Fit Total Shoulder Relief Cinches and Girths. Why do I always have to say that? It's so hard. (laughs) Oh my goodness. It's hard because it's hard to say because it was a very, it's a very top quality product and you have to work at it to make something that nice. So now... We are on to the next phase of the great road trip. And before the break, I teased a little bit. Now the Mustang aspect of this adventure begins. So pick it up where we left off. Yes. Well, actually, uh, yeah, I was looking at my little notes because I had to write notes because this was a crazy long trip and I couldn't remember every place we did. Um, So I'll just touch on what we did before the Mustang super quick. Um, We... Stopped in Rock Springs just for the night. Uh, Did not go see the Mustangs then because I wanted to make sure that I was caught genuinely on film seeing them for the first time because that's why I was out there. Uh, That's why they had me come out. So I I went to Rock Springs, did not look at Mustangs. No rehearsal. I I covered my eyes. You you know, I did not look around at Mustangs. Um, So we still had a few days before we would go see the horses. So... We did this like breakneck pace jaunt through all of Wyoming. We had like three days, two days maybe. I can't remember. But we drove up through Jackson Hole and Yellowstone. Jackson Hole's amazing. Um, go if you get a chance. Uh, we went through Yellowstone. Did not have time to do all of Yellowstone. It takes at least a day. Um because we wanted, my mom, uh, the whole reason we wanted to drive was my mom wanted to go to Gillette. That's where she grew up, had not been back since she was a child. Oh, wow. And she's also never been to her dad's grave. Um, and uh, he's, and, I, and I'd never even met him. He died when I was a baby. And he is probably the reason I do anything with horses is because he was a real live cowboy he he rode in all the big rodeos he was an all-around cowboy won all these buckles started horses for the cavalry rode in buffalo bills wild west show in madison square garden like 
the cowboy. He's that guy. So we had not been up to see where he was buried in Sturgis, South Dakota. So we were headed that way, um, decided Yellowstone's sort of kind of not really on the way, but let's go. Went across the bottom corner of it. And all I wanted to do is see like swarms of buffalo. It doesn't matter <laughs> that I see buffalo all the time. It doesn't matter that on this very trip, I stopped at Charles Goodnight's Buffalo Ranch and saw buffalo. Um, I wanted to see him in Yellowstone. I just had this thing. And I've seen all the videos. I wanted to be the guy that gets filmed doing stupid things around buffalo. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, you see all these videos of these buffalo just like littering the highway and you literally have to part a sea of buffalo to go. So I was like envisioning that in my head. Like, I can't wait to see all the wildlife and like a bear is going to come up. He's going to try and steal my picnic basket. Um, <laughs> you know, like I was taught as a child would happen. Just like Yogi um, taught you. That's right. <laughs> exactly. I guess that was Jellystone, not Yellowstone, yep, but whatever. Yeah. One letter's yeah. difference. Big deal. So we drive through the bottom corner of the park on our way out and forever. We, I saw no wildlife. I saw nothing but ducks. And, you know, every day, run-of-the-mill ducks, which I have ducks, so that wasn't exciting. Um, saw some geysers, not the geysers, so we didn't go on that part of the park. We just saw some really stinky geysers. I'm like, okay, this is cool. This is cool. Got my pictures. Um, ran, ran around this lake for like an hour. At first, it was like, oh, a lake. And then after an hour, it's like, we're still at this lake. So... <laughs> I don't Are you sure we be... didn't make a wrong turn and this is the Pacific? <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be that tacky tourist who's like, where are the buffalo? They promised they would be here. They should have them out here. I paid to be here. But I was like, where are the dang buffalo? Dang it. <laughs> so we finally saw a couple laying at the side of the road. And it was all I could do to be a good citizen and not run up to them and try to kiss them on the snoot. Um, so I got my buffalo uh, picture taken uh, far away from a healthy distance. And then we saw a grizzly bear on the way out. Whoa! Which, yeah. I had people tell me they've worked at the park for three years. I've never seen a bear. So I felt pretty lucky. So we saw you this. You saw really it from cool the safety of your car. Yeah. Actually, no, we totally got out of the car. Oh, of um, course you did. <laughs> but she was far away. And there were a bunch of people there, including a park ranger. That's how we found her was we we're leaving the park kind of like, well, we saw some buffalo, but they're really far away. And, you know, but, um, then we see this pile of people at the side of the road all pointing towards the yes. woods. We're like, okay, we got to get over it. That's how you spot wildlife in a national park. Don't look yes. for wildlife. Look for groups of cars along the road. Yes. <laughs> That's how you do it. That's how it's done. That's the special um, tracking. That's uh, the tracking ancient... device. Wherever yes. you see go gobs and gobs of out-of-state vehicles and oftentimes minivans, with parked along cameras. one of the access roads. That's yeah. where the wildlife is. That's where it is. Um, although one person commented, it might have even been an auditor. She said her, her she had a horse trainer who used to live near Yellowstone, and she would troll people by getting out of her car and pointing, and they don't get out of their car. I'm like, <laughs> if there. that happened to me on this trip, I would tie her to a tree and put jelly on her face, and then I would get my bear picture, dang it. Um, <laughs> oh, so... Funny. Yeah, so we saw a bear, totally made the whole trip worth it. Um, we ended up stopping that night in Pahuska Teepee, which is Buffalo Bill's old hunting lodge. And then I got my true buffalo photo op. We came out that morning, and there's this, you know, grassy area right outside our room where they've got this teepee um, and a little covered wagon. And I see this buffalo. I'm like, oh, cool, they have a buffalo statue out there because it's so perfect. And then... It was a real buffalo. <laughs> oh my God. The statue moved. Yeah. So we sat next to this buffalo in our cars, just flashing. I have 400,000 pictures of this buffalo. Um, so we went there. We stopped in Sheridan, which is where Tom Balding bits are made. If you oh. know anything about Tom Balding bits, they yeah. are amazing. Um, he's got this snaffle that everyone should have in their tack room. It's got these silver dots on it. Super fancy, a little pricey, but they're, you know, made in America, hand done, old school. You get to see how they're made. If you're ever up that way, um, Harrison Ford has the Tom Balding bit. Uh, Mark Harmon. Does Harrison from Ford have a horse? Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. Probably somewhere at some ranch somewhere. 
Um, Mark Harmon has a tomballing bit. So now I could be part of that, that special elite group. Yeah. Anyone in the Western horse world has a tomballing bit. Um, so after seeing all this, we finally made our way to Gillette, which is where my mom grew up. And, uh, it was, I guess not as it was when she was a kid. Cause Gillette's kind of, we, we stopped through some touristy towns on the way out, Cody and stuff. And it looks like you're back in the wild west. Cody actually had a whole deer in their city park crossing the crosswalk in front of our car. I saw more wildlife in Cody than I did in Yellowstone. <laughs> um, but Gillette's pretty industrial kind of oil, you know, that kind of town. And it's just changed with the times. And unfortunately, the only thing that was still left intact, my mom kept talking about this rock pile she used to play on. She's like, there's this rock pile here. And turns out that is the number one thing to do in Gillette is go to the rock pile museum. Which it tells you that at, kind of what kind of town that is. The pile um, of rocks is the, the attraction. Yes, it's a very high pile of rocks. That's what it is. Um, so I'm like, well, let's go in this rock pile museum, I guess. You know, I guess we'll just learn more about what kind of rocks they are. It's actually this awesome museum in Gillette. And um, I won't go into everything that was there. Really cool artifacts from the past and from the West. But there's this World War II letter. There's, there's this, this series of letters. And like even thinking about it now, I want to cry. Um, but it's, it's documenting this gentleman named George Raymond Easel and his nickname was Spud. And yeah, he was posthumously, I cannot pronounce that right. Awarded the Navy cross, um, for heroism. He was a gunner on the USS San Francisco, um, actually shot down, I think, a a Japanese plane and, um, was killed in the process. Um, and there's these beautiful letters he's written home, this beautiful letter, his best friend wrote to his parents saying he was a hero. I was there when he died, he didn't suffer. And he was, you know, Oh my God, I just want to cry thinking about it. But my favorite letter, it's the very first letter that he wrote home after he decided to join the Navy. He was working at this horse ranch and he said, I'll be here in a few days. I have quit worth and plan on joining the Navy. Um, be home as soon as I sell my saddle. Uh, so that's just the, I don't, I don't know. I just found that really cool. This, this cowboy, he's going to go home. He's going to go home and then go off to the war, but he's got to sell his saddle first. But, um, I'll probably post the pictures of all those letters at some point. It was really, um, well now I need to go to Gillette. That That sounds like a, that sounds like my kind of museum. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's so much more on that part of the trip I won't go into because I want to get into something horsey. We went to Devil's Tower, which was amazing. I got to hear an exasperated park guide talk to this very sweet and ancient elderly couple who kept insisting that E.T. was filmed there. Ah! <laughs> and if you know anything about Devil's Tower, you know it was a big point in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Isn't so- that the mountain that he kept trying to sculpt out of clay or something? Uh, yes. Mashed potatoes. Yes, mashed potatoes. Yeah, yeah. It. it's been so long since I've seen it. But this old couple was like, E.T. was filmed here. And he goes, no, no, no. Same director, different movie. And after repeating this several times, he f- looked like it finally sunk in that he got it in their head that Close Encounters was filmed there, not E.T. So he explained that Close Encounters was filmed there. And this couple, after a while, they were like, so Close Encounters was also filmed there? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, good enough. Good enough. <laughs> Um, we stopped in Hewlett, Wyoming, which is the only thing there. There's not much there is there's a, like a restaurant and this, the best Western museum I have, um, ever been to Bob Coronado, this rodeo poster artist was there, um, uh, who does these fantastic rodeo posters. He's got this wonderful Northern Plains Museum in Hewlett. Uh, drove through a town of Aladdin, which has the oldest general in- store in Wyoming. It's got a population of 15 people, and the <laughs> entire town is for sale. Oh, my gosh, um, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we did that. We went through Deadwood. I got to see Kevin Costner's failed casino that he closed abruptly in March. Even the employees didn't know about it. So uh, walked into work bit. one day and the door was locked. Yes. Yes. Anyway, went all the way around Wyoming, finally came to Rock Springs. And this is where we saw the Mustang. We actually started the real reason for the trip, saw the Mustangs, and uh, we met the film crew out there. And 
we went out with Pat and Souders, my mom, and the PBS film crew, and we'd go out early, early each morning. It was freezing because um, Wyoming apparently gets cold. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we drove out to the public lands. Um, I think it's about 14 miles south of Rock Springs at the mouth of the Flaming Gorge, um, which is every bit as impressive as it sounds. Um, so if you go out here, there's there's a few ways to see the Mustangs in Rock Springs. You can go to the pens where they've been rounded up. We did hit that on the end of our little Mustang adventure leg. Um, and you, c- you can adopt from there. They won't be open again for actual adoption till January. There's a Mustang loop you can take, which is right around that area. Um, and it's a pretty drivable road. I think it's, uh, like 15 miles and see Mustangs that way. But we wanted to go specifically where Remy's herds were. So this was South of Rock Springs and, um, Pat knows the area like the back of her hand. Now, she's Pat's been the out photographer, there. Right? She's the photographer. She's been out there for years and years. And we would just, this is the amazing thing about public lands is they're your lands. You can go out there. Obviously you want to be respectful, not drive off the roads. Um, but you're out there, you're sharing it with hunters. You're sharing it with the Mustangs. You're sharing it with the cattle. Um, but you can just go out there. You don't have to go pay admission or schedule a time just drive. And that's what we did. And she knew exactly where to spot the herds. And, um, so here's what looking for Mustangs is like, this is about the experience we had every day. We would hit these roads and some of them roads is a euphemism. They were like, (laughs) um, wagon wheel ruts from the Oregon trail type roads. So you need some really strongly plied off-roading tires and you need a four by four. Um, if you're going to do it this way, Um, but you will, so we've got everybody mic'd up. We've, we filmed the, the driving down the road part. There was a drone that filmed our car driving down the highway and we're mic'd up and there's a GoPro. And, um, the funny thing about filming this is it's a documentary. They want to catch you being you, but at the same time, when you know you're being filmed and they're like, they're giving you a little prompt, like just talk about how the trip has been. We're like driving down the road all wooden, like, so the trip is being really great today. (laughs) I hope we see some Mustangs. Uh, It was so like, it it was very hard for me not to be super self-conscious. Um, you especially. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) totally. Um, so we got all that filmed. I'm chomping at the bit to see the Mustangs. We've got a whole film crew in the car behind us and we're looking for Mustangs, not finding them, not finding them, not finding them, not finding them. And all of a sudden, every time it happened like this, you round a corner and there's a hundred Mustangs right there. And you're, you just want to, you just want to scream. Um, and I have to tell you, there's something about, I have a pasture full of horses, many of whom are Mustangs. And I get to watch those horses do horsey things every day. But when you see them in the wild and they're still doing the same mundane things my horses at home do for free. Um, but when you see them in the wild, you're like, oh, my gosh, that one just flicked its ear. Oh my God, that one's switching its tail. Like you get really stupid giddy about it. I mean, at least I did. So yeah. it is so worth it to do. In fact, the film crew, when they were interviewing me, they asked me several times. So why haven't you done this before? I'm like, well there aren't Mustangs running around in Texas and this is very far away. Um, but you know, it was on a bucket list, but it wasn't like, Oh, my dream of dreams to go see wild Mustangs. It was just like, yeah, that'd be cool sometime. So worth doing. Definitely recommend it. There are. Yes. So when you, now I had a question for you. I was doing mundane things that regular horses do. Um, Oh, that's what my question was. So when you went out, since you had the photographer along who had been documenting these herds for quite some time, were you able to pick out any of Remy's relatives? We did not. That was the one thing um, that we did not find was any like actual direct relatives. In fact, the last day we were, she and Pout had scouted out the location beforehand. So she knew she had seen the herd a few days ago. Every time she's gone out, she's seen, um, there's a little band that's got Remy's sisters. His mother has been rounded up. His dad disappeared. He's there somewhere, but he's off 
by himself. No He's one's off the grid, him. huh? No band yeah. right now. So there wasn't a lot of hope that we would see him. He actually got gathered and then re-released in another area nearby to try and kind of diversify the DNA a little bit so Mm -hmm. he'd find different mares and breed them instead of, you know, breeding Mm -hmm. his daughter uh, or something like that. Um, So no one's seen him. And I was hoping we'd have the perfect Hollywood moment. We'd come around the corner and there's Chaveo, this big, black, beautiful stallion bee. We didn't see him. Um, The last day we're driving around, can't find them, can't find them, never did find them. We saw about, oh God, 500 horses on the whole trip. Yeah. The last day. So we, we ended up, it ended up being great filming. It worked out great. The last day we're leaving and I'll go back more into what it was like to see the Mustangs. Um, but the last day we're leaving heading home and we caught my mom and I just, I wanted to go see him again without having the film crew. Cause as much as those guys were amazing as, and they gave me this opportunity. So I'm incredibly grateful, but we would see horses and we'd go, I'd want to go running out of the car. Like there they are, <laughs> but you're filming. Yeah. So they've got to get their cameras out. They've got to set it up. And I'm seeing the horses and they're getting further away. I'm like, Oh no, I have to see them. Um, so I wanted to go out, you know, by ourselves, uninhibited, see the horses. So we went out again, found a couple more herds. And as we're going on the highway to leave, this tiny band of stallions crosses the highway in front of us. And I, I snapped a few pictures with my phone, sent them to Pat because she knows every horse out there. She could tell a dot on the horizon and she's like, oh yeah, that's that horse and that's his brother. And that's, you know, last year he had this mare, but he doesn't have, she knows so much about it. But so I sent her some pictures of these horses and there was a little gray gelding and she said, oh, that's Remy's old playmate. And there's this wonderful picture of Remy rearing up with this little gray gelding. Um, and they used to play together. And it's really interesting to see the kind of parallel lives of these two three-year-olds where one got gathered and trained and one is kind of still wild and wooly and getting ready for this long, hard winter. And it, it brought out a ton of mixed emotions for me. This Mustang issue is very contentious. Um, there are people who hate the BLM, demonize the BLM, don't want to see them gather, don't want to see them touch. Um, there are people who believe the herds um, need managed. They think anyone who wants to see a horse wild is a crazy activist. Um, and there those are, are all in just, between. Yeah. Yeah. We've just, we've made people characters, which they are not. Everyone cares about the Mustang. Um, every, the reason there's so much contention is because everyone loves this, these horses. And that's where it really comes from. So on one hand, seeing this horse, this buddy of Remy's out in the wild, it made me sad for Remy. I don't know why I'm going to start crying about this. Um, it made me sad for him because, wow, I didn't think I'd get emotional. Um, it made me sad for him because he's not there with his friend anymore. He's not in the wild. He, you know, he sort of had that taken away. And then on the other side, I don't know why. Mustangs make me stupid. <laughs> they make me so emotional. Horses make us all stupid. Oh. <laughs> yeah. On the other side, I see this beautiful gelding who could be someone's love of their life right now. And, you know, being loved on and cherished. And he's he's not going to get gathered anytime soon because they're not going to do another one for several years. And and he's kind of by himself. He's lost his friend and he's he's got to go through this winter. And it's just such a hard life for them. So, you know, lots of emotions, obviously. <laughs> we have to prerequisite this show when we put the recorded version out for the tissue alert, please. Oh, God. Yeah, that's, and a, that's, so that's a very good point. Because, and that speaks to the... Um, divisiveness of the issue in that is one life better than the other. Both lives have trade-offs, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there are horses that I don't think should ever be gathered. You know, you you can't go and pick and choose. I only want this one because I know his personality. He should be gathered. This one shouldn't. That's just not feasible. Um. You know, they, they can they can manage that a little bit. You know, obviously, you know, an older stallion, um, although sometimes that happens too. But so, you know, I've seen horses that um, and I've had them to train that I thought you should have been left out there. 
um, you shouldn't, have, you shouldn't have come in. You're, you're, you're always going to be a wild horse. I can't make you fit in this box. And then there are horses and Pat mentioned this too. She knows these horses. She was able to tell me exactly what Remy would be like to train. And she was spot on, you know, funny. She, yes. And, and I didn't believe her when she first told me that she's like, he's going to be really chill, easygoing. You're going to love him. I thought, how do you know that watching when, Obviously, they're comfortable in their environment, but, you know, when they get gathered, it's a different thing. They can act very wild, even if they were calm standing around. Um, so she knows these horses as if she owns them, as if they're sitting in her backyard. And she told me that there were some horses that she's seen kind of grow up and be a wild horse and turn into a wild stallion and have their band of mares. And she said, you know, I wish some of these guys that I've seen that are just calm, happy-go-lucky horses had been gathered and found someone to love them. Um, well, I guess and- I guess in when Mother Nature creates the herd of horses, you're going to have a certain diversity of personality types. That's how you have a herd. If every member of the herd is the alpha, you're not going to have a herd. <laughs> You have to have well, a horse that wants to be an alpha. You have to have a horse that is comfortable being in the middle. But when, and you're right, when we gather these horses, whether you're for it or against it, doesn't matter, when the horses are gathered, um, picking and choosing the size, shape, color, personality of these horses, pretty limited. But shouldn't isn't that the way it should be? Because you need Mother Nature, or in their natural state, you need that diversity of genetics and part of that genetics is the personality type yeah yeah and you know i'm sure they've got i i don't know much about gathers um that's that's one of the facet in my education i i don't know as much about um so you know i'm sure they they do pick and choose to an extent obviously like taking chevet gathering him moving him to try to keep it diverse i know they'll introduce new horses to try to keep that diverse um and uh you know, you can't, you can't say, well, this one's going to train up really well. But like uh, the funny thing about Remy and uh, speaking of herd dynamics is when these stallions get to a certain age, um, they get kicked out, you know, and it's like, it's time for you to leave. Teenagers Uh, move out. And they form their little bachelor bands and then they have their little squabbles and, and then they get their own mares and start their own bands. Remy never got kicked out of his band because he's such a mama's boy. He just stayed with his mommy um, <laughs> as a three-year-old and was not intimidating. Sliding under the radar. <laughs> so the stud was like, ah, you're whatever. Fine. You can hang out on the couch a little while longer and play video games. And uh, I've got this quintessential Remy picture where he's just laying flat in the wild, letting things happen around him. And uh, that's Remy. Uh, these horses ha- often travel, uh, you know, at least 10 to 15 miles a day. There's one big watering hole out there right now. And they, they'll they travel miles to get that water. And I'm like, but I don't know if Remy can make a two-mile trail ride, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to believe that he actually did that and survived the winters. Um, and that, okay, so if I had to pick one experience that, you know, this was – this was how the the best the highlight of the trip, um, especially with the Mustang part. Watching these guys go to the waterhole, it totally blew away my expectations and preconceived notions of wild horse behavior. Um, so there's this there's this like muddy little watering hole. It was at the bottom of one of these roads we were driving on. It's got a little um, a little windmill uh, at it, old non working windmill, and these herds would just go time for water and like big herds at one point we saw several hundred going to this little watering hole Really, wow! and yeah. And they run to it. They run to water. They like, once they see it, they start running up to it, which is the coolest thing. And, uh, the bands usually will wait in line. Like this little family group goes, and then this family group goes, this goes, and it's all a very, you know, choreographed hierarchy of who goes in. Um, and I thought that they would all walk up to the watering hole, line them up, line up around the edge, dop, dip their little noses in, take some, you know, polite little sips, get their fill, and then leave. Um, that's not what they do. And this was, it was cold out. It was like 40 degrees. They all plunged like neck deep into this water and they had the time of their lives. They <laughs> rolled, they splashed, they played. It was so cool to see 
just, I could tell that this was like the highlight of their day. And that, that's the wonderful thing about seeing him in the wild is like, they're just so uninhibited and this, they're just, this is, they're enjoying something so simple, so vital to their existence. And they would splash, get completely drenched. And then they'd hop out, find a big pile of sand to roll in. And then they just walk back over the horizon. And I'm like, you guys, why don't you just stay by the watering hole? But it's not the way it you works. Know, that's, well, the, that's the predators stay by the watering hole too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I've, I'm told that there are some cougars out there, um, found some really giant coyotes, found endless herds of pronghorn, which are antelope. I saw maybe, I don't know, mm, estimating about 4 billion pronghorn on the trip. And every time it was as exciting as the first. Those are those are cool little, they call them speed goats in the West. <laughs> speed goats. <laughs> and because they're really fast. Like if they see you coming, they're running. And every once in a while, one would like run alongside the car. And I'm thinking, wow, that's a pretty fast little antelope. And then it would kick into this new gear. It was like watching a cheetah. Um, wow. They're fascinating to watch. It was it was really cool seeing all the different types of wildlife. We saw an eagle at one point. Wow. So, so, so all this and more. Um, yes. we're, we're fresh out of time and we, we have to quit, uh, quit a little bit early today because I am a one woman show and I have not one, not two, but three farriers showing up in approximately half an hour. So I have to get all the horses in and ready for them. But I promise on next month's Mary Kitzmiller show brought to you by Horseware, we will chat a little bit more about Remy's experience at the Mustang make at the extreme Mustang competition where he did really well. He was a rock star. And I want to hear all about how you developed that freestyle freestyle you did because I watched the video and it was awesome. Uh, if you wouldn't mind reposting that on your Facebook page or put it over on horses in the mornings, Facebook page, cause it was really fun to watch. Um, and I'm sure it's one of the reasons that Remy uh, cost you so much. <laughs> yes. Yes. He was a little pricey. He was a little pricey. Um, but we'll talk some more about that and maybe pick a couple of things that you did in your competition and the training process to get to that. And maybe we can chat a little bit and geek out on on the, the training that you did for that. Yes. This is what happens when we skip a month. I've got too much information. Um but yeah, uh, my takeaway from it is if you've never been out to see wild mustangs, find an HMA, um, find somebody who knows the herds because that's the best way to do it and get your butt out there and go look at these horses and you will too will be a blubbering emotional idiot there like I was. <laughs> Bring along your tissues and your camera. There we go. Perfect. Well, uh, we'll see you again next month. We'll be back again tomorrow with more Horses in the Morning.